0: Thank you for joining us on this Ethics and Conflict of Interest podcast. I'm Kathleen Akin, an Assistant Professor of Medicine in Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at Yale and the Director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit at VA Connecticut. And I have the pleasure of interviewing today Dr. Lenny Sicilian, the Clinical Director of the Adult Cystic Fibrosis Program at Mass General Hospital. He's also the um, Co-Chair of the ATS Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee with me, and will be helping us think about how best to recognize potential conflicts of interest in our professional obligations and to consider strategies for managing uh, conflicts of interest, as well as thinking about what would be some obvious red flags for unmanageable or disqualifying conflicts of interest. So, Dr. Cecilian, thank you so much for participating in this podcast with us.
1: Uh, you're very welcome, Kathleen. Thank you for having me.
0: So I think it would be helpful just for our membership to start to consider what we mean when we're talking about conflicts of interest. And I was wondering if you could potentially help walk us through some of the um, aspects of conflict of interest that present themselves for ATS members in their academic um, pathways and and um, what are some of the more common pitfalls that you've noticed along the way.
1: Sure. Conflict of conflict of interest has gotten somewhat of a bad rap over the years, mainly because it tends to mean different things to different people. And I'm sure all our listeners out there will realize if they have to disclose to the ATS or their own institution or when they give a speech that sometimes the rules are different. And one of the problems is there is no consistent or set of rules across the country for disclosing uh, conflicts. I think the other important thing to remember is that conflict of interest arises out of the fact that we all in our day-to-day life have competing interests, and these competing interests you know, can be as simple or complex, if you want to view it that way, are as, uh, do I need to cut this last patient I'm seeing in clinic short so I can pick up my child from daycare so I don't get fined? Those are, that's, those are competing interests. A, comp- a competing interest becomes a conflict when your decision becomes really about yourself benefiting as opposed to the person you're supposed to be either helping as a patient or in the educational setting, which is really the main focus of the ATS, if the information you're transmitting isn't the best information, and by transmitting that information, you are actually causing yourself to benefit, either benefit by uh receiving money, say, from a a pharmaceutical company uh, that might uh, be paying you to be on a speakers bureau or uh, uh, giving information that might maybe uh, make your next grant proposal look better than it really is. So we all have competing interests. They become conflicts of interest when you put yourself or the person declaring those competing interests now makes their role more important than the role they're going to do, teaching, clinical care, uh, etc. The other important thing I think we need to remember and some people lose track of is that having having these conflicts, having these competing interests and even if they are actual conflicting and can't be managed, it's not a value judgment. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person or not a good teacher or not a good clinician. So I think we need to uh to keep that clear. A conflict of interest isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it represents a risk that you might not transmit best information or might not provide uh the best care and you're putting yourself, the person who's in that position, uh, is putting themselves in, in ahead of their task, so to speak.
0: Thank you for helping us think about these conflicts of interest. It's also, I think, very helpful to, to remind us that it's not a value judgment, but really in the interest of us being as honest as we can about where we might have these, these potential um, competing interests becoming conflicts. Is that is that along the lines of what we're getting at?
1: Yes, I, I think uh, I think that's it, and the. In relation to the ATS, I think we have to remember uh, that the ATS has a certain reputation and standing nationally and internationally. Uh, What the ATS says and does uh, influences policy. It influences patient care, say, in relation to their guidelines and their uh, lobbying efforts. So that when one of our members is presenting data or representing the ATS, it's really important that those uh, that there is no conflict of interest that that member is not really doing something that represents themselves but uh, or tends to or may benefit themselves but is something that is the best available information for the good of uh, uh, either education or patient care
0: so as we think about ATS in general I was wondering if you could help us understand the the process that's Um, used by ATS in order to identify and manage conflicts of interest.
1: Okay, well the, the, the process that's used was described in the ATS policy that was, that was approved by the board in 2008, uh, calling the policy on management of conflict of interest in official ATS documents, projects, and conferences. Uh, it actually outlines the basis for why it's important to disclose your, uh, competing interests and to resolve them if they are conflictual if they do rise to the level of a conflict of interest. Uh, and that holds mostly, f- it holds really for all ATS activities. So if you are uh, connected with the ATS and you are going to work on a guideline or present a paper or uh, 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 participate in a conference or be on a committee or run for ATS office, uh, you have to declare your interests. So that's called disclosure. And all people in the ATS uh, who are either part of the administration, and this includes ATS staff, uh, leadership, uh, people who are session chairs at the international conference, presenters, and people who work on guidelines, but both uh, chairs and members of the panel, have to disclose their competing interests. Uh, Once that disclosure is made, usually uh, if it is an educational thing like a conference or the international conference uh, or a guideline committee, the chair of that session has to review uh, your disclosures and determine, based on what you disclosed, whether there is any any conflict or potential conflict, that that this competing interest may supersede the interest of the ATS in general. And if that's the case, there are several ways in which you can try to mitigate that. Uh, And I can go into those if you'd like me to.
0: I think that would be really helpful to hear what we could do to mitigate potential meeting right. interest. Right.
1: I think the most important thing is that people should feel free to disclose, and that's why I mentioned that this is not a value judgment. If you have a relation with industry or uh own some private uh uh, entity, if you're a clinician or if you uh, have intellectual property, uh, it's appropriate to to disclose that because, in fact, the ATS encourages these things as as a development of new knowledge. It's only when that knowledge is used for your individual benefit greater than the benefit of the ATS or the patient you're taking care of, etc., that it becomes a problem. We at the ATS, ever since we've started with our work on the Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee, we've really operated under the principle that we believe that the vast, vast majority of ATS members, even those who have competing and conflicting interests, are really doing things out of the best interest and not themselves. And that's That's been proven out by cases over the years. There are very few instances where there's really been a purposeful avoidance of disclosing conflicts and dealing with them appropriately. So we assume when most of the people disclose that they're doing this honestly and they're really hiding nothing. And I think that's reflected in the submission, say, for the international conference, because when those are reviewed by session chairs, it's found that. The vast majority, greater than eighty five percent of presenters don't have any uh, competing interests that would conflict on the in the situations where your interest may represent a conflict, may represent that risk. Uh, the chairs of the session or the chairs of the guideline committee will review your data, and they may ask you to submit what you're going to say so they can review it to make sure that there's no obvious situations where you would be putting your interests ahead of the interest of whatever group you're working for. Most of the time, conflicts are dealt with in that way. Uh, sometimes there is an interest... Uh, say, a relationship with industry that is is a conflict of interest, uh, not all of them are, but if it is, you may be asked, say, as part of your presentation, to avoid making recommendations regarding the product that you're affiliated with and that may uh, benefit both you and a, uh, a third-party uh, industry partner that you're working with. And those are how most of them are Uh, revealed so that hopefully by the time a guideline comes to fruition or you hear a presentation at the ATS, the majority of of conflicts have sort of been removed. And that's important for the ATS because in order to grant CME credits, for example, we have to ensure that to the American College of Graduate uh, Medical Education who sets some of these rules. Now, there are there are cases where the relevant, uh, conflict, uh, really can't be decided by the, the chair, uh, uh, or the person who's running the, the particular, uh, uh, event, so to speak. Uh, and that is when the ATS either leadership or members for the ethics and COI committee will get involved to help resolve these things. And I think hopefully in a couple of months what we're going to try to do is to publish either online some examples of cases like this so people can use them as guides. That's a a rare occurrence, but occasionally it goes that to that level. Uh, There are rarely conflicts that cannot be resolved, and then the person has to be asked to not participate in either the guidelines or the presentation, etc. cetera. Uh, there are several shades of participation, and this, this occurs especially, say, in guideline documents uh, where the ATS is making recommendations that many, many people listen to. Sometimes people who do have conflicts can take part in the general discussion because a lot of uh, individuals who do have conflicts uh, are really experts in the field and you don't want to lose that expertise so they may be involved in the discussions but they might not uh, they may be asked to recuse themselves during the rating of the data or making final recommendations either as a whole or for the part of the recommendations where their conflict lies so again the, the bottom line becomes if you declare your conflicts, the vast majority of the times they can be resolved and you as a member of the ATS can get to participate in the activities and the ATS can maintain its quality.
0: Thank you for that, that thorough um, discussion of how these decisions are first sort of brought to light. I, I did wonder, because it does depend a bit on an honor system for the participants and presenters to identify these potential conflicts. And it sounds as though airing on full disclosure would be the preferred and and recommended way to ever um, consider addressing potential conflicts of interest. But I'm also thinking about the audience members or the reviewers of guidelines, or or I should say consumers of guideline documents, um, who might themselves feel as though there's something that's being left out that they know about an individual. How how might an ATS member bring that up to somebody um, if they okay. themselves had concerns about potential conflicts of one of the participants?
1: Uh, you're right. I think that, and that does happen. I think the, the best and most direct way when that happens is to contact uh, Either the person who is, say, the chair of the session that you're looking to, or the chair of the guideline committee, or in, in, even if you don't want to go to that level, you can always ca- contact uh, the ATS Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee. This or any, any feedback we get or complaints we get are kept strictly confidential. They are explored. We do discuss them with uh, the, uh, say, chairs or guideline chairs, uh, and we will find out from the individual involved what actually happened. Again, as you point out, this is an honor system. Uh, Full disclosure of everything would be best. If you look at the international conference, for example, your disclosures according to the ACCME rules say you just have to disclose financial relationships relevant to the topic. Obviously, then, someone has to decide, is, is my work with uh, company X relevant to the topic that I'm talking about? Some people say no. Other people may see a conflict there. Uh, and I think that has led to problems in the past. That's why I agree with you that people should disclose fully. Uh, that gets into a time issue and a lot of other things that, that we're trying to work on at the ATS, uh, Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee. But there's always an option for someone who is concerned that, that there was, uh, A conflict that benefited the speaker or the writer of the document more than it did the consumers of of those events. Uh, You can always talk to the ATS and it will be pursued.
0: That's very reassuring.
1: I would like to say one thing too, which always comes up about the uh, conflict of interest portion of the ethics committee, is that we're not the police. We don't go around looking for offenders. We will respond to people who have concerns, but we're not trying to turn over every stone to try to find people who uh, are not disclosing. We do have an honor system.
0: Yes, and I guess the one thing that stands out for me as the absolute unmanageable conflict would just be related to tobacco industry sponsorship. Is that accurate?
1: That is accurate. There, the, go ahead.
0: Oh, I just wondered if there were other sort of absolute contraindications or, or conditions that can't be managed that you could think about.
1: Uh, the the tobacco situation can't be managed, and that's that's an issue of policy based on the the behavior of the tobacco industry. People who have an association with the tobacco industry uh, certainly are not allowed to run for ATS office, and uh, they're usually excluded. Now, some people have had relationships in the past. Uh, and depending on that relationship, there may be some uh, some room. But in general, I think you have to assume that that if there is an association with the tobacco industry at any time, it would be very difficult to represent the ATS in in any uh, in any way in an official capacity. I think as far as other absolutes, not really. And I think one of the one of the reasons for that is that when you look at the whole sort of universe of conflict of interest, a lot of what we do in conflict of interest is sort of based on rules. There's not a lot of data that, that tell you when somebody is conflicted. There are data that tells us that we tend to underestimate our conflicts, but it's hard to tell how often they really affect negatively uh, the information or you're trying to transmit or the education you're trying to provide. And that's why we usually look very carefully at, uh, at management. If there are a few things that will pretty much exclude you from certain activities, uh, and those are if you're on a speaker's board, if you are on a uh, uh, an advisory board where you're paid directly by industry, uh, either a pharmaceutical company or a device manufacturer, if those payments go to your family, if you profit directly. However, if you're doing research hand-in-hand with a pharmaceutical company and that research funding goes through your institution, that's not considered unmanageable. That can be managed uh, and you can participate in the ATS to to some degree. Uh, so a lot of it, other than tobacco, depends on the circumstances. But there are uh, there are certain things that are more likely to cause an exclusion than not. And
0: just for rounding out the considerations of tobacco. Where has ATS fallen in terms of the e-cigarette and um, electronic nicotine delivery devices and um, Uh, conflict of interest?
1: Right. At this point, uh, working doing research on or presenting on uh, or participating in anything that has to do with e-cigarette use. The ATS does not consider that at the same level as tobacco at this point, and the main reason for that is that it is still a field undergoing research. As most members know, there's conflicting data regarding whether this is helpful in smoking cessation or whether it addicts more younger children. Uh, into Frank cigarette smoking, the data are still open, and therefore, at least at this time, the ATS has taken the tact of that is uh, a potential conflicting, uh, 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 conflicting or competing interest. But it, the ATS in in formulating talks, uh, etc. and guidelines will consider participation of people who have done research or have spoken on that topic. Uh, They would go through the same uh, process of declaration and review that I described before.
0: I think that touched on the topics I wanted to have us include for the podcast, but I wanted to be sure to ask if there was something that I hadn't started to explore with you that you thought would be important for our members to hear about.
1: No, I think you've really, uh, you've really hit most of the highlights. I think what the ATS uh, Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee would like to, to, to get across is really that this, this is something important, but it's not, it, it doesn't stifle you and it doesn't prevent you from doing things that you want. It's just a way of ensuring that the ATS is presenting the best information to the public since it does have a lot of uh, influence. Uh, as the committee goes, we would like to study this and do more research on it. Uh, I think paper, uh, attendees at the conference, sometimes look at the conflict of interest slides that are uh, mandatory, and sometimes they're not up there fast enough for them to even consider what's going on. Sometimes presenters will talk about that. In guidelines, for example, all of those things are outlined in the appendix uh, and declared uh, at the time the guidelines are published. Uh, so We'd like to know a little more about how to do this, and we do realize that uh, your institution, your hospital, uh, medical school, etc., may have totally different rules for what they think constitutes uh, a conflicting uh, interest. I, know, I certainly know my institution does, and what, uh, what my institution, for example, thinks is not a conflict, I would certainly feel like I had to disclose to the ATS. So I think this is an area in flux. I think the membership needs to know that there are people on the ATS staff and the ATS Conflict of Interest Committee who will help them answer this. I also think it's especially important for, say, trainees, for fellows. Uh, Sometimes they are working with individuals where they see a conflict, they don't know how to handle it uh, because they're involved in in their training and their mentoring. Uh, If they're an ATS member, they can certainly approach the committee and ask for guidance. I certainly wouldn't promise that we have all the answers for everything, but there are enough people involved who would give your question or problem some good thought and maybe help you with some advice.
0: That sounds like a, a great message to end on. Um, and again, I encourage ATS members to also, as Dr. Sicilian mentioned, reach out to our Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee and the existing guideline documents. And I also look forward to some case illustrations that we'll be making available through the Ethics and Conflict of Interest Committee. So this wraps up this podcast, and um, thank you very much again for your time. I think this has been a really helpful walk through uh, Conflict of Interest.
1: Great. Thank you, Kathleen. Anytime, I'd happy to do this.